Welcome to Bibliophiles, a production of the Center for Lit Podcast Network. In today's episode, the Center for Lit team continues its quest to discover the great ideas in books of every description, ancient classics to new bestsellers, epic poems to bedtime stories. We're glad you came along. We hope you find this discussion as provocative and inspiring as the books themselves. Want to join the great conversation? Stay tuned. You've come to the right place. Welcome back to Bibliophiles, everyone. Adam Andrews with you once again. Joined, as always, by the Center for Lit crew, my wife, Missy. Hi. My son, Ian. Well, hey. And my daughter-in-law, Emily. Hello. Hey, guys. How are you doing today? Energy okay. There's a little, there's the, the spice of, of uh, faux marital aggression is in the air over here. <laughs> Pretty good. You're going to have to explain that term, faux marital aggression. <laughs> Anyone who's married that listens to our show knows exactly what I'm talking about and is already laughing. You know the mood where you're a little stressed out and it's the end of a long day and it's more fun to take out your anger in sort of a joking way on your spouse. Pick, 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 nag, nag, nag. The key, as we all know. secret to a happy marriage, right? That's right. Go, tell it. low-level... Bickering. Constant low-level bickering. <laughs> well, let's go it's ahead and just invite eruptions. Let's invite the world into the Center for Lit Living Room, where there is a a, a level of constant low-level bickering going on, and let's mm-hmm. bicker about something literary, Ooh, shall do, we? Let's do. What's the topic du jour? Uh, let's see. I, you know, what I'm thinking about right now is the fact that summer is nearly here. Well, okay. I shared with everybody. I taught my last homeschool class. Um, was it a week ago, week and a half ago, yep. right before we left for Aaron's wedding? It's sort of all running together right now. That's what's causing the stress. I'm not kidding you. In the last couple of weeks, we've graduated one daughter from college in Michigan, and then we've had a wedding in Oregon for our son, and we're graduating another son, our last son, from homeschooling in a week. And there's been all kinds of travel in between and... Um, it's, it's a very busy time around here. So what I'm thinking about is summer vacation. <laughs> and how you wish you could have one? I am remembering the days when I was young and still a student and looking forward to the last day of school, right? I talked last time about my last day of schooling, but that's not quite the same thing as being a student on the last day of school. It's a little bit of a different perspective there because do you remember the Ooh, last day of school is coming, and you just oh, you just can't wait. You're so tired of school. You're just sick of the whole rigmarole. But it's out there. The last day of school is coming, and there's usually all kinds of celebratory things surrounding it. And then you coast into summer, and the days are wide open, right? They're baked in sun, and there's green grass and maybe swimming pools or beaches, and long naps, and best of all, long books. Just oh, yes. books you want to read. No assignments, nothing you have to read. You get to read, right? You get to choose your books. You get to read what you want. You get to put it down when you want and come back to it. And I remember those days in my childhood being just full of magic. It was like magic, freedom, and magic. You are the bookiest book nerd that ever lived. I know. I cop to it. That's I cop really to the true. whole thing. But do you remember? Oh, yeah. I actually do. You know do you know what I'm talking about? I actually do remember that. In fact, I have, am, am uh, fond of saying and indeed known for saying to my students that I went into teaching 
on purpose so that I could have the experience of the last day of school for the rest of my life. And I actually had So it. tell me though, did that actually happen or has it ever happened? Oh yeah. Yeah. It happened this morning. Actually, uh, this morning was our last session in our online Academy for the, for the school year. We taught American lit and did leaf angers peace like a river. And oh. it was the last one. It's now officially summertime for us at the Center for Lit Online Academy. We got to do some report cards and some final grading and things like that. But in terms of the classes, it's over. And it's it's the, the exhilarating experience, just like always, just like when I was a kid. I love it. I was going to say, I, I felt the same way as the kid because as a teacher, I'm always trying to keep up with what I have to teach next. And so I have my list of what I'm reading and there's always something that's coming next. And there's not really any time to read what I want. And today, when I went to go look for what to read, there wasn't anything that I had to read. Yeah. It kind of was a little panicky in a good way, <laughs> but there's so many options. So I don't even know where to start. <laughs> I think that, that the options, that thing that you're expressing, so many options, is part of the glee involved in the last day of school and the first day of summer. The options of what to do with your long days. Yes. that There's no opportunity cost yet. It's all there. The, the whole summer is pregnant with possibilities, right? <laughs> you haven't had to choose yet and limit yourself. Mm. I love that. So when it comes to reading, I mean, I will admit to not having the same attitude toward my summer reading that you just described, Missy. Um, my, my attitude toward my summer bike riding when I was a kid, maybe, or my summer fort building. Or... I was going to say, there's a, there's a far side of difference between personality types on this very feeling. I think <laughs> some people look at it and go, Oh, oh, oh unrestricted school. And then other people <laughs> no, Ian, no. look around and go, Hey, outdoor activities. There is a difference those are, between, those are different. don't you think there's a difference between the kind of book that requires study and the kind of book that's just a delightful read? I do actually, I do think there's a big difference in those things. Um, Allow me to lead then with this. I so it I am going to, it turns out, spend some of my summer reading time with Steinbeck, oh, wow. um, whom I've really never had the pleasure of reading before. Um, no one ever assigned him to me. I think is the reason he never really made it onto my plate. But now through a, lo a long list of things that I won't tell you about, he has ended up on my plate as a part of one of my jobs. I have to read some Steinbeck, wow. and it has been such a joy. And I'm starting with the first couple of excerpts from. Uh, from his sort of travel diary, uh, travels with Charlie in search of America. And he describes prepping for this long six-month or three-month journey where he's going to see the whole United States and write about it as he goes. And he's prepped his little camper that sits on the back of his truck, and he's taking his dog Charlie with him, who happens to be a French poodle. And he talks about the things he's going to bring along, and I think it's analogous to our conversation. I want to read it to you. Oh, go. So he says... I thought I might do some writing along the way, perhaps essays, surely notes, certainly letters. I took paper, carbon, typewriter, pencils, notebooks, and not only those, but dictionaries, a compact encyclopedia, and a dozen other reference books, heavy ones. I suppose our capacity for self-delusion is boundless. I knew very well that I rarely make notes, and if I do, I either lose them or can't read them. I also knew from 30 years of my profession that I cannot write hot on an event. It has to ferment. I must do what a friend calls mullet over for a time before it goes down. And in spite of this self-knowledge, I equipped Rosinante, which is his trusty uh, travel trailer, 
with enough writing material to take care of 10 volumes. Also, I laid in 150 pounds of those books one hasn't got around to reading. And of course, those are books one isn't ever going to get around to reading. <laughs> Canned goods, shotgun shells, rifle cartridges, toolboxes, and far too many clothes, blankets, and pillows. And many too many shoes and boots. Padded nylon, sub-zero underwear, plastic dishes and cups and plastic dishpans, a spare tank of bottled gas. The overloaded springs sighed and settled lower and lower. I judge now that I carried about four times too much of everything. That's great. You can't hide. Steinbeck's the... comments on our particular conversation, I think. That reminds me of, there was a, I follow this Twitter page that's for academic nerds and it just makes fun of the things that come up in academic life. And it said, keep your friends close and your personal shame over failing to meet overly ambitious <laughs> summer writing goals closer. <laughs> so good. I love it. I mean, I, and everybody knows what that feels like. You look at the summer and you think, oh, I'm going to read everything. And then you get to the end of the summer and you've, you hopefully have gotten a couple of sunburns and you maybe, maybe have attended a barbecue or two, but the list of things that you've done and reading is the topic today, but for me, it's also social gatherings or concerts attended or whatever, you know, sites seen. That list is correspondingly shorter because frankly, summer is only about nine weeks long, right? Which long. is not all that long, <laughs> frankly. It's just not that long. So it's, I want to encourage our listeners to, as they're setting up their summer reading list, indulge in the glee, but be prepared for the fact that you'll get through one, maybe two of the titles that you've laid down as your goals. <laughs> or, laid, or laid in, and as Steinbeck me, puts right, it. Laid in, as Steinbeck puts it, yeah. Let me encourage you not to fill up that summer reading list just with books that you're going to teach next year. Uh, yeah? Maybe take a minute and read something just for the fun of it. In that connection, can I make a suggestion? I mean, oh, please sure. do. I would like to read the first paragraph of chapter two of Mark Twain's The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, because I think it resonates with everything we've just been saying. And it goes like this. <laughs> Saturday morning was come and all the summer world was bright and fresh and brimming with life. There was a song in every heart. And if the heart was young, the music issued at the lips. There was cheer in every face and a spring in every step. The locust trees were in bloom, and the fragrance of the blossoms filled the air. Cardiff Hill, beyond the village and above it, was green with vegetation, and it lay just far enough away to seem a delectable land, dreamy, reposeful, and inviting. I suggest that you begin your summer reading with a book like Mark Twain, which is exactly in the category, I think, Ian, that you were describing. Maybe you're going to teach it next year. But if you are, it's not going to be difficult. It is, above all else, dreamy, reposeful, and inviting. Mm -hmm. Don't you think? But yeah. see, that's even, like, respectable. In the summertime, <laughs> I like to go towards the entirely Tell them, Emily. I'm not going to Tell name. Them. No, I'm not. <laughs> it's so unrespectable that I'm not going to name the kinds of things I'm thinking about reading. But it's your I list of shame. For, yeah, like the trashy <laughs> the books. And there's like 10 of them in a series. That's the kind of thing I turn to. People are now summer. making lists and narrowing it down. Oh, there's only seven in Harry <laughs> Potter. That can't be it. No. <laughs> Actually, that is one of them. I, I don't consider that trash, but Neither do I. listen, uh, Mark Twain wrote a whole series of Tom Sawyer novels, most of which you've never heard of because they were horrible. Really? So it's in that category. One of them just <laughs> happened to rise to the level of respectability, but that doesn't make it dry or boring. No, that's no. True. And the I'm main thing is that it be delight driven. 
dreamy, I'm reposeful, and inviting. I, in the summer, I tend to one of the things I tend to do is gravitate towards titles that just aren't going to give me any street cred at all. <laughs> Mark Twain will right. still give you street cred. Okay, you know that's fun fair. Though? Like, cause, yeah, because I agree with you about that, and I don't necessarily do it intentionally. But one of the things that I find myself doing is in the summertime, I'm either reading low barrier to entry mind resters, right? Where the, where the goal is to just be entertained or I'm reading favorites mm-hmm. because I also don't have to try really with favorites. Like revisiting I've, an old read friend. them before, but it's like revisiting an old friend or a conversation that you really, that you remember and that you're still gleaning wisdom from or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's restful. Um, I read new books or new authors I'm trying to tackle in the winter most of the time. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And I'm not sure why that is. I, I could see arguments for both sides of that. Somebody could say, yeah, but in the wintertime, I want to be warm and cozy. So I read my old favorites then. And I, I could see that argument as well. But for me, it always goes the other way around. I tend to read favorites. I make very little progress in the summer. I make very little progress in the summer at anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I think it's, I think it's good to give yourself room for that permission for that because especially if your job in your daytime hours is reading um you can lose your joy for it mm-hmm. if you don't indulge yourself and give yourself permission to choose a book just for the fun of it mm-hmm. not because it's important or because it's weighty or because it's challenging or because you're prepping for the next school year but just because you want to i, I read a book like that um two summers ago I read a book called A Year in Provence by Peter Mayle. I think it's the way you say his name, M-A-Y-L-E. And it was simply delightful. It was kind of a, a memoir. It was a memoir, a narrative of his time when he, when he bought a little, a little uh, cottage in Provence with his wife and fixed it up and met the neighbors and indulged in the culture. And it was full of little anecdotes of what went down there. And it was completely restful totally delightful, charming. It was a charming Uh. little book, but it's not going to make anybody's list of the best books of all time. Right. It's not a weighty classic that you need to really study and pour over because the universals it touches on are going to feed you for the rest of your life. Right. It it fed me for the moment. And frankly, I'm still enjoying it. As I look at it in retrospect, I remember it by a beach. Um, I remember a lot of wind, a lot of sunshine, and nothing to do. Mm. Nothing to do, no um, obligations of any kind. That's what it's attached to. And it will always be a sunny memory for me. Mm. I encourage you to find a book like that. And I think it would be great if we could kind of prime the pump a little with a few more titles. What do you think? Yeah. Did you guys come with some titles in I mind did. that we could recommend? I, I have one. You should read Tom Sawyer. But yeah, I get it. I get it about Tom Sawyer being not... Uh being too highbrow. It's a classic. But guess sure. what? Guess what happened in November when I was deep in the bowels of some library working and reading and reading hard stuff and I didn't have time to do it and I didn't notice. What? Lee Child. Oh yeah. Published a new novel <laughs> November 5th, 2018 called Past Tense. Is it fun? I have no idea. No, you haven't read it yet. <laughs> no, it's a I page no turner, idea. huh? Yeah, um, the new the 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 publication of a brand new Lee Child. This is a Jack Reacher novel. Lee Child is the creator of Jack Reacher, the great pulp fiction macho man of all time. And evidently, there is a new batch of villains that need their elbows broken, and Jack Reacher <laughs> is just the guy to do it. And he started doing it on November fifth of last year, and I missed it. You have a 
caught up yet. No. Oh, no. It's one of the great experiences to realize that you're not, you're no longer caught up with Lee Child and Jack Reacher. So I don't know if that meets your uh, criteria, Emily, but it is certainly not highbrow. <laughs> That does, yes. A low level of entry. I think that's awesome. That's awesome. How about you guys? Hmm. Well, this whole this whole thing brought to mind the time when Ian and I went on our honeymoon and uh, we were packing books to bring with us on the trip and he packed David Foster Wallace's The Pale King. I knew this would come up. Graham Greene. <laughs> And Evelyn Wall and Wade a million. You remember times. how we started the day today yeah. talking about marital tension. <laughs> also about laying things in. Ian, you are it so much hilarious. like your mother. Hey, I'm in good company. Steinbeck and I did the same thing, okay? Hey, well, do you I, know it's what funny I because I'm the one who would usually do that. So it's so it was unexpected. Ian. It was Ian. How did it come out? Even. That's what I want to know. Well, anyway, he didn't read any at all. But what <laughs> happened is I picked up John Green's Paper Towns that trip. And oh, that yes. was fantastic. And don't miss John Green. If you haven't read any John Green, spend your summer digesting John Green. Yeah. Uh, last summer, I read An Abundance of Catherine's. That was great. Did you read Turtles All Over the Place? I mean, Turtles <laughs> All the Way Down? Turtles All the Way Down is not <laughs> my favorite. I can tell that he's struggling with some personal issues and it's a little, it's a little more meditative and that's fine. Uh, good for him. But I, what I love John Green for is just the that the quick silver, yeah, yeah, that quick wit, uh-huh. and there's that it has a very summer tone to it. I resisted reading John Green. You tried to get me to do it for years and years and years, and um, finally gave in in a summer. It wasn't last summer, but I think it was a couple summers ago, and I absolutely enjoyed myself to the hilt. It was so much fun. Can't remember really much about the stories other than yeah. I had a ball. Well, what you remember is laughter. Yeah, you I just did. remember reading it and just having to put it down and finish laughing before you can keep going again. Laughed my the head guy off. Is so funny. It was great. I will cop to never having read John Green. Oh, you, you got to do it. I've never read. I him. mean, here's the thing: you have to. I'm talking to adults right now. Like giving it to your children is a whole nother thing. It's like morally ambiguous in a lot of ways, yeah. and you have to understand when you're reading it. Now I'm talking to you, mom. <laughs> that. <laughs> You, you have to divorce yourself from the situations he puts his high schoolers in and not use your mom brain on those. <laughs> yeah. uh, that sounds like you a tall you, order. I'm not average sure. I don't know. Brain instead of mom I don't brain. know if I can do that, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, that's funny. Well, I was thinking about this question. How would I answer this question myself? And um, I, I jotted down a bunch of titles as per the use. And no. the one that I'm I'm thinking about right now, well, obviously is Peace Like a River because I taught it with dad this morning and it's just, it's just so beautiful and it's such a page turner that it qualifies in both camps to tell you the truth. It's worth deep study. It rewards, um, it rewards a rereading, but it's just such a great read the first time through that I wish that I'd never read it before so that I could read it for the first time today. It's like that kind of book. So if you haven't read Peace Like a River, parents, high schoolers, Read it. It's great. Leaf Anger, Peace Like a River. But another one that I thought of that I hadn't thought of in a long time is by a lady named Alta Abernathy. And it's a memoir that um, she wrote with her husband for her husband uh, about her husband's life. It's called Bud and Me, The True Adventure of the Abernathy Boys. And it is 
it's a, a work of, it's a memoir, history, and it is about these two little boys whose father, well, they, they don't have a mom, their mom has passed away, and they, when they're still very young, like something like four and seven or That's something like about that, right. or f- yeah, I think it was like four and seven or four and eight, mm-hmm. they take a cross-country trip on horseback alone. I kid you not, alone. And we're talking many states away from their own state because they want to. And their dad says, sure, you can do that. Take the family horse. (laughs) It is fascinating. You guys, I'd recommend it. It's so much fun to read, and it's a true life story. I second that. I've read it. It was phenomenal. Do you remember that story? Mm -hmm. So fun. I've given that book as a gift multiple times. It's it's a really fun read. What else would you put Um, on the list? Well, the fact that it's history, I, I'm not, see, I don't know. I'm not thinking of, I'm just thinking about things that I want to read Yeah. when it comes to summertime. And That's the fact the that idea. you said it's a memoir's history reminds me that because I teach fiction all school year long during the summertime, I often like to turn to works of nonfiction. Mm. Uh, I'm a history major by my other degree and, um, Today, when I was cleaning out the basement, I found, I have a set of Civil War uh, history tomes uh. that were written by Shelby Foote. It's a trilogy. Oh, yeah. Um, Shelby Foote mm. was a great friend of Walker Percy. Uh, so he had a literary bent, but he's also a great Civil War historian. And they're huge and they're thick and they qualify in my my long tomes category. <laughs> so I was thinking today, I really want to read those and maybe I'll do that this summer. Oh, that's awesome. That's I great. I um I share a background in history with you, Emily, and I, I feel the same way sometimes that uh, in teaching literature all year long, there's not a lot of time to grab a weighty tome of history. Even when you know one of the kids was in history class and I was in charge, I would let him do most of the reading and just kind of follow along, making sure he didn't make any crucial errors. But there's one book in that connection that it would be really fun to take to the beach and just spend a week pouring through it, and that is any volume of Will Durant's Story of Civilization. Oh, what great books. Man, oh man. I don't know if you guys have ever read Will Durant, but he's the the um, mid-20th century popular historian, wrote in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and for popular consumption. But he was um, you know, academically very well-trained and above all else, a marvelous writer. He is a marvelous writer. And so he's got these, these you've probably seen them, these giant, 40 pound volumes of the history of everything and his mm-hmm. ability to tell a great story and still give us, give a lot of fascinating detail and uh, about Western history in particular is just fabulous. I think I'll take my cue from you and get a Will Durant volume out. Didn't he? Well, yeah, I, was gonna, I tend to split in one of the two directions. I, I want the light trash that doesn't require anything from me. And that's one side of me, but then there's the nerdy side of me that's like, this is my chance to read something that doesn't, that I wouldn't normally be able to get to and just dive into something that I've wanted to learn about forever. Yes. Okay. 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 I can chime in on this. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry, mama. Go ahead. I was just going to say, didn't he used to work with his wife? Yeah. Ariel, his wife, Ariel co-wrote some of his books. I thought that was, yeah, they were, were they were a team. I'm sorry, Ian, go ahead. No, that's okay. Uh, on the, so on the topic, I, I just remembered a particular summer that uh, it, it lives in my memory because of a book that I read. Which oh. one? Um, 
and it was, and I think this was summertime. You might correct me and say, no, that was middle of winter. Oh, I was spring, but I think it was summer. I'm pretty sure it was summer because I had a whole day free mm. doing nothing else. And let me tell you, gentle listeners in my mother's <laughs> homeschool, that is not a variety of day. Um, <laughs> and probably a short I had call. a whole day to just sit there on the couch and read this book. I read Michael Shera's uh, Pulitzer Prize winning The Killer Angels. Oh, what a great All book. in one sitting. I sat down and could not put it down. It was so gripping. And it's it's narrative history is I think what I would call it. Su- Pseudo fictional narrative history because it's the details of the actual story are accurate, historically speaking. The conversations between the historically real characters are uh, imagined. Yeah. yeah, imagined. Um, but it is fabulous. It, it, for those of you who don't know, The Killer Angels is an, as a, an account of the Battle of Gettysburg. It is absolutely phenomenal. So Michael Shera, he won, he's the author of The Killer Angels. He won the Pulitzer Prize for that work, and he had three or four others that were well-respected. And then his son continued in the tradition, Jeff Shera, and has written several more that um, aren't quite as well-known or maybe quite as good as his father's work, but I still enjoyed the heck out of him when I was a kiddo. Um, one in particular called The Rising Tide was about tank warfare in North Africa in World War II. It was brilliant and super fun to read. Um, so ch- check out the Shara family, father and son, for some historical um, narrative. Pretty fun stuff. Love that. That sounds great. Hey, Missy, didn't you bring some picture books home? From the library in the last week? I did. In preparation, perhaps, for I did grown-up reading during well, the summer? You know, the truth is, it was Molly Kate uh, and her friend Henry were visiting, and they went to the library. Well, we all did, and we were just having a wonderful time um, perusing I, the Should I text bookstore. Henry and say that he got name-dropped on uh, Bibliophiles? Oh, <laughs> you could. <laughs> but anyway, we Maybe brought home armloads full of children's books just to share. Which ones did you read when you were growing up? Oh, I read these, but you've got to read these. It was like, it was so much fun. We just had a great time trading titles back and forth and came home with the pile, just like we used to when the kids were little. When they were little and they all fit on the couch at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. I asked Molly actually this morning when I was telling her what we were going to be talking about today. So what do you remember reading in the summer that you really enjoyed? And she said, I remember Cornelia, um, is it Funke? Mm. F-U-N-K-E, yes. the German gal who did the Inkheart trilogy. Oh, yeah. So Inkheart, Ink Spell, Ink Death. I remember really enjoying those. In fact, I remember buying one of those for somebody's birthday and then reading <laughs> reading it before they could get their hands on it. <laughs> Ian used to read those over the phone to me when we were no, in a long-distance relationship. Is that right? Yeah, we spent, we spent mm-hmm. a year apart. He did the voices and everything. And I, it was wrote, great. I read the first one of those out loud to Emily. I had no idea. I didn't know about that. That's called hey, Mojo I had right some there. back in the day. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was a good time, I feel sure. That is awesome. Definitely had some moves. I love, but I love the way you're, you're ta- the direction you're taking the conversation, Mom, because it's also, that's sunny too. I mean, um, also episodic. I like that. Uh-huh. I like doing episodes or chapters or um, spend, spend your summer reading Calvin and Hobbes. Oh, you know what I mean? Idea. Like sit down and do something that you can you can do in small bites that that drops a little joy bomb into the middle of your day. Yep. Um, I, yep. I she, think she, oh, oh, go I'm ahead sorry. Missy. Yeah, you you. I was just going to say she she named everything that she named to me was a series. Mm-hmm. She yeah, named, see, this is what I'm saying. This yeah, is what yeah, I'm talking about. They're she just named, not, uh, not all trashy enough for Emily, that's all. What's <laughs> the other one? Oh, Michael Buckley's Sisters Grimm, which are just fairy tales retold. In a, I guess there's a frame, a story frame, but 
She used to devour those in the summer also. Mentioned those. I read The Silmarillion in the summer once. Oh. And it's associated in my mind with, uh, with summertime, with leisure, and with engaging, gripping fantasy drama. And I think that's a, that's a um, I don't know, those two things go together in my head. And it goes without saying, if you've never read um, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, do yourself a favor. I wasn't done talking about the Silmarillion. Yet. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, it's related. You know, they're inklings, both of those guys. Oh, I see. I mean, while we're on the topic, we should mention that we're all reading the Space Trilogy this summer in the Pelican Society. Yeah. yeah. And it's good. Yeah, now that I'm almost done with Out of the Silent Planet, I think that was a solid choice. Yeah, me too. So everyone should come join us in the Pelican Society and talk about those. I, you know, I'm, it's the, my first time through Out of the Silent Planet for many years. I think I was, um, I might even have been a, in junior high or, or something like that when I read them the only other time. And because they're C.S. Lewis and because everything he wrote, even the fiction, is freighted with theological concerns and he's trying to, you know, to wage worldview warfare in the middle of the 20th century. And they, they sort of get heavy in my memory. Oh yes. Out mm-hmm. of the silent planet, it was hard, but it was good. And going mm-hmm. back to them just now in the last couple of weeks, I was pleasantly surprised to find that they're, they're not weighty at all. Actually, actually fairly short, super duper accessible. They read mm-hmm. pretty quickly, but they still have that really engaging quality. If you, you feel like you're, you're talking with a great conversationalist about important things. I love it. Me too. Have you guys read the other two in the in the series, the Paralandra and uh, that hideous strength? The only one I've read actually is that hideous strength, and I, I defend myself by saying that Lewis himself actually said, "If you're going to read one of these without the other two, read this one." Right. Um, but yeah, I, I read that hideous strength and hadn't read the other two until we embarked on this little reading journey. Uh, so I'm pretty excited. Yeah. I read Paralandra in college, but. I was so wicked straight out of that semester that I remember absolutely nothing about it. So that's a weird one to pick up. No, that's know, a weird one right? to separate from the group and read. Yeah, I don't know what was the reasoning behind that. It was for a book club. Okay. But. When I was in college, they same college they um they gave us that hideous strength because they wanted to touch the series but not have to take up the time to read them all. And it, I, I didn't it read really that well. until I was married. I, I read Paralandra. In isolation, for some reason, I don't know why. I, I found it on somebody's bookshelf and read it, and thought, I don't, I don't really know entirely what's going on here. I was much younger at the time, though. I think I'll probably enjoy it better. Yeah. the second round. That's going to be fun. <laughs> so we haven't mentioned what I, who I consider to be a giant. Well, two actually, two giants of summer reading fiction. Wow, I can't wait to hear this. Well, it's not surprising, but you need to read P.G. Woodhouse. Oh, Woodhouse. And you need to read Agatha Christie. Oh, oh I'm, yeah. I'm in on that one. Sleeping those Murder. Are both, those are perhaps the single two greatest writers of summer reading fiction ever. I agree. There's just so, they're just so inviting, aren't they? They say to you, the reader, please come in. Just However, come on in here. Come as you Do are. I have a story for you? I've got a great story. You don't have to be dressed a certain way in your mind. You don't have you to. You don't even have to be dressed. This is a book. Very good. You don't have to have the right attitude. I'm going to make you laugh. Me and Bertie and Jeeves are going to take you <laughs> out back and make you laugh. <laughs> did you really? Bertram. Mm-hmm. Which ones did you read him? Well, it's, it's the second one that most people start as the first one. 
I forget what the title is. Of you mean of Woodhouse? It's the one that the show started with. Ah, uh, it's, it's Co- Code of the Woosters. Oh, okay. Code of the Woosters is that in? Yes, with the cow creamer and the policeman's yes. helmet. Yes. And I know all about you, Lily. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lord, for PG Woodhouse. <laughs> it's the funniest thing since twain absolutely oh my word um the great thing about woodhouse is there's the there's the uh the wonderful bbc televised adaptations starring hugh laurie Mm -hmm. and stephen fry which are not to be missed but there's also audiobooks of it everywhere everybody records pg woodhouse Mm. i found out why recently is because some of it is in the public domain and you can just make a recording and put it wherever you want (laughs) I remember one. So, I tried. I actually tried to make an original recording with people. Can't do it. Can't it's do harder it. than you think. <laughs> and it's because and the guy's voice is not our lingo. Well, not only the lingo, but the tone of voice, and you got to keep it up. Once you start, you can't quit, and it goes and on and also, on for chapters and chapters. You have to be original. You can't sound like you, Lori. You can't just sound like you, Lori. You just copy. Oh, sh- absolutely, you can. Well, I can't. So, you know, I tried to do Anne of Green Gables and couldn't do it because I. You can't sound like um, Rachel Lynn. Right. Rachel Lynn has a voice, and you can't. You can't be that. <laughs> you can't say, "Well, Marilla, that's the kind." Well, Marilla, strychnine in the well. <laughs> that's the kind. Strychnine in the well. <laughs> uh, but uh, but you mentioned Agatha Christie, and that makes me want to ask Emily a question. I don't think I've ever asked you before. Have you read them all? All of the Agatha Christies? Because you come from an Agatha Christie family, like I do, right? I do, and no, I I haven't. There's quite quite a few of them, right? There's oh yeah, and it's hard to know if you've read them all because she published um, a multitude of them under two different titles. Hmm. Right, right. So I, I'm sure that I'm acquainted with a lot of them because my family used to get together and watch the David Suchet version oh, yeah. of Poirot and the Miss Marples of BBC all the time. So. She wrote 82 novels. Wow, that's a lot of novels. That would be a lot of fun. Ian and I just finished watching Ooh, yeah. the Amazon version of the ABC Murders with John Malkovich. Oh my gosh! Amazon guys. original cast Malkovich as as Hercule Poirot nice. and and did a three. It's a three part. It's a mini series. We watched the Buddy. first one. The we first watched the first one. one. Yeah. It was a little dark for mom. Oh, it was really disturbing to me. It, you know, one of the reasons I like Agatha Christie so much is because it's a cottage mystery, you know? I mean, it's a murder mystery, but it's still in a charming English village. And it's domesticated. It's very domesticated. You know what I mean? It's it's not, not like watching them. It's not like watching a, a horror um, m- serial murder mystery today. Tell that to my 10-year-old self who literally couldn't sleep on account of, what was it, monkey hands? Remember that part? Yeah, that's, 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 that's sleeping murder. That's sleeping murder. That's the scariest oh. Agatha Christie book I have ever read. That makes monkey. my hair stand on end to this day. I think that one has an alternate title, too. Do you, do you remember what it's called, Adam? Satan's I, no, coming it's not for that. you? <laughs> <laughs> He's in the closet. Look out. Be Run. afraid. Be very afraid. <laughs> no, it's not that there's another title it's that there's one that's so similar there's sleeping murder and murder in retrospect yeah that's right they're two two different stories but the titles are she was recycling titles at that point well sleeping murder is what are you supposed to do it's the real deal i read some agatha christie recently that was um short stories from early early in her career and they Mm. were terrible yeah, they were she really, was kind of making a run up to it. Well, you got, I mean, <laughs> you got to get your chops you gotta, somewhere. Yeah, you got to warm up, I guess. She wrote some really bad stuff early in her career. So hmm. just be so, forewarned. But no, I haven't exhausted those. And and also I share the um, same 
quality as grandmommy, our beloved grandmommy, who can get to the end of the mystery and forget <laughs> who did it so that she can turn it over and start again. So you don't need all 82 of them. <laughs> I, yeah, I, that, I could probably reread one. <laughs> that is great. Did, speaking of that, did we mention uh, rereading as one of the glories of summer? Yeah, Ian did. Visiting I, old friends. Yeah, that's right. You said that. You like to visit old friends in the summer. Um, let's talk about rereading for just a second because it's really, I think it's really hard to sell the idea of rereading to people who are reading as a vocation, either cramming kids through curriculum lists or preparing to teach classes or like that. I mean, let's, let's talk about rereading for a second. Continue in that vein, Ian. The argument that I would make for rereading is dependent on a particular understanding of what you're doing when you pick up a novel. From my perspective, what you're doing when you pick up a novel is you're aiming to converse with the person that wrote it. And I wouldn't presume, no matter who the person was or what level of education was or whether we had anything in common with one another, I still wouldn't presume that I had um, wrapped my head around and, and taken possession of the whole contents of someone's mind after one 10-minute conversation. And in the life of a novel, a single reading is just that. It's a 10-minute conversation. It's in particular when we're talking about a novel that has survived some decades of right. analysis by other readers. So from my perspective, the impulse to reread is an impulse to return to that conversation and continue getting to know the author and learn the mind that the work came from and dig more deeply into the content that's there. So, so you're not, you're not just advancing a justification for rereading. You're actually suggesting that it's, that may even be necessary. Oh, I think it's absolutely necessary. Here we go. We're using words like necessary. We're talking about summer reading. Well, no, we're not. We're talking about rereading now. He changed the subject. I have, that's why it's so hard for me to reread in the summertime and really honestly to reread it at all. When it comes time for me to reread a book that I'm about to teach that I've read before, it feels like a chore. And by the time I'm into it, I'm usually loving it again and seeing things I hadn't seen before. But yeah, in the summertime, it just does kind of feel like a chore. So that's interesting. Unless it's, I mean, I can totally see going back to a favorite book because you want to immerse yourself in the atmosphere of the book again, or you miss the voice of the author, or mm -hmm. there are a multitude of reasons that are delight driven to go back to it. But I'm talking about summer reading where you're not doing it because you're studying, right? You're just, you're being delight driven, delight driven, Ian. I haven't read Lord of the Rings since you looked at me and said, are you going to read anything else ever? Well, you did read it. How many times did you read it? 14 times? No, that was your son. That wasn't me. I only read it twice. No, you I, read it way more than oh. twice. <laughs> it's like a constant companion on the bedside table for years. <laughs> it might be time. I, If I were to go back and reread the summer, I would probably go back and reread Salinger. Really? And Zooey. Mm -hmm. That's and not lowbrow. Well... It's his voice kind of is. I love his voice. It's very playful and fun. Catcher and in the Rye? I've actually never read Catcher in the Rye. Oh. I've only read Nine Stories and Franny and Zooey. I had a friend in college tell me he was writing his, his, uh, his thesis, his senior thesis on Salinger. And he, I said, so should I read Salinger? I've never read Salinger. He said, no, you wouldn't like it. <laughs> you need to read Franny and Zooey. Okay. I want to, if, if you're a Salinger fan, I want to hear what you think of Catcher in the Rye, Emily. Okay, I'll you, go find it. You should read it this summer. I don't think it takes very long. Okay. It's not that long. Yeah, he's, he's a quick read. Interesting. 
Okay, we got to add Gary Schmidt to the list for younger readers, um, elementary and age, and their parents, anybody older. But this is a totally appropriate for younger readers to read Straw into Gold. Straw into Gold, kind of a frame for the Rumpelstiltskin story that explores all kinds of fun stuff. And it's just so beautifully written. I love his prose. It reads like poetry. It's, um, it's a unique summer reading experience. Found that one at the library. By um, accident? By, well, sort of by accident. I was looking for something, and the librarian said, you like, you like juvenile fiction, don't you? I, you? If you don't know Gary Schmidt, you should. And she did me such a favor that day, introducing me to Gary Schmidt. What a treasure. Mm. Have you guys got, um, has this conversation given you a, a, a mental summer reading suggestion slash assignment for yourselves? I mean, I just gave you one, Emily. Were you thinking of something else already? Oh, yeah. I'm going to order my trashy series on Amazon, and no one will ever know what it is. So you're still not going to tell us? <laughs> nope. <laughs> is it a whole series? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you go to your so grave, you'll go to your grave, and you'll I never tell us. I wish you listeners it. could see her face. She's grinning like a Cheshire cat over here. <laughs> is it a long series so that it's going to take you all summer to read it? Longer than that, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm going to I'm going to read. I, apparently, I'm going to have to do because I just told you guys I like to reread in the summer, but I don't get to this summer because I have other stuff going on. So, I'm going to do a little tour of some of the great Americans I haven't gotten to read yet and see what happens. It'll be fun. Well, I am going to. I'm actually going out of town tomorrow. I'm going to Southern California for a homeschool convention, and I'm going to get Lee Child past tense in the airport, <laughs> and I'm going to read it. It's not technically summer yet because I'm still, I don't have that moment on the beach just yet, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's my next one. What about you, Missy? I started a book on the Inklings, a big old thick, it's my big thick tome that's been sitting on my bedside table. Um, It's too heavy to hold up in bed at night, (laughs) which is why I haven't made a lot of progress on it this year because that's when I have to read something just for the the sheer pleasure of it. But I'm going to read that this summer because um, it is full of wonderful biographical information about some of my favorite authors and the people who wrote it, whose names have escaped me. I'm sorry. I'll look it up for next time. Um, They're so literate that every time I am reading in it, I learn new words. You learn words? Yeah, This is relaxing for Missy. This is what she means. (laughs) Well, it's not an assignment. I'm not doing it for class. It's just sheer interest in the Inklings group and kind of the mythology that they created for, for England. Fun stuff. Speaking of bedside tables, I still have Dombey and Son by Charles Dickens on my bedside table. And that, I may have mentioned that four or five months ago at in a Bibliophiles episode, still working through it and doing it in the summer mode, even though I've been going at it all winter, which by which I mean a paragraph here, a paragraph there. There is no obligation. Go If you drift off to sleep with a morsel or two of Dickens on your tongue, you could do a lot worse. You sure could. Is it better than hard times? dramatically better. <laughs> yes. It's a little preachy still, but I think the more I read Dickens, the more I realize he was kind of a preachy dude. I mean, he had a, he had a lot of moralism to lay upon you, but I like it better <laughs> than hard times. Yeah. You know, the other book that's on my bedside table that I, I ordered in preparation for summer, but that I haven't cracked open yet is um, Bird's All's The Penderwicks at Last. Oh, I haven't read that either. The last story in the Penderwicks series. Molly Kate said she ugly cried throughout the whole thing. Did she? Yep. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to read that one this summer, too. 
Ian, are you have you read the Penderwicks? I read the first Penderwicks, and I think maybe the sequel, and thought they were a, a delight, an absolute unfettered delight, and then went to college. Right. And no longer had time for works besides the ones being assigned to me. Then you had to go and read The Dream of the Rude and the Canterbury Tales instead. Right, which was just great amounts of fun, but not nearly as uh, lighthearted as the Penderwicks. <laughs> uh, the, my my um, daughter Molly said yesterday that we were talking about Little Women. We were talking about Little Women, and I mentioned that I think Little Women is ponderous and boring. <laughs> and that may be a commentary on me, which is fine. And then Molly Kate said, um, it is ponderous and boring, and Gene Birdsall did it better in the Penderwicks. Mm. That's an interesting, that would be an interesting conversation to have among people that had read them both. Okay, so I looked up the name um, of the authors of the, the tome on my bedside. It's it's not just called Inklings, although that is the word that's writ large on the cover, which is why that's what came to mind. But it's called The Fellowship, The Literary Lives of the Inklings, J.R.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, Owen Barfield, Charles Williams. And it's written by Philip Zaleski and Carol Zaleski, another husband and wife dynamic duo. Talked about several of those today. Cool. The Literary Lives of the Inklings. Okay, last question uh, for this episode of Bibliophiles. Are you... are any of the three of you going to make it to a beach this summer? Yes or no? Ian? I don't know. I don't think so. And that means no to for you too, Emily? I will make it happen. Because <laughs> you've got the books for it, right? <laughs> <laughs> I need a beach real bad. Beach reading is different than other kinds of reading because it ha- you have to take the right kind of book, right? You've got to take a book that for example, doesn't it doesn't matter if it gets filled with sand and dropped in the water, perhaps. Right. Yes? Is that's there a true. is there a particular style of book that's more appropriate for a beach in your opinion? Well, you need it to keep your attention for a long time, for the whole time you're there. The reason I ask is that mom and I are going to the beach and well, it won't be until probably September, because there are a few things going on. But what would you advise that we take reading wise? Because the purpose of our visit this time to the beach is reading. That's literally it. We're going to read and cook and look at the water. And walk. You walk need to take Red Rising. So Red Rising. I read the first one. You did? Yeah. Yeah, I did. And too. then you were able to stop? Mm-hmm. You must yes. have missed something. <laughs> it doesn't really pick up until the second one. Oh, really? Start the second one. Okay. All right. I'll be done Do with Lee Child favor. by then. So I'll be caught right, up exactly. again with Lee Child. It's in the same category as Lee Child. All right, I'll take Red Rising. What about you, Mom? What are you taking to the beach this summer? I don't know. I just, maybe this, the Pendrex at last. Oh, okay. That's good. Yeah. And then we'll just take a giant stack of Agatha Christie's to tie this oh, over yeah, till the end. Oh, yeah, definitely some Agatha Christie. Sounds great. Excellent. Well, I'm all uh, tooled up and ready for a great summer of reading. I hope that you guys are too. And to you, our listeners, I hope you've got some good ideas or would like to start a conversation about what you are going to read this summer. And if that's true, put a comment in the comment chain or jump on the website and make a comment or join the Pelican Society and have a bunch of comments with every other reader in the world about all things literary. Meanwhile, if you'd like to to, um, rate the podcast for us, we would appreciate that wherever you get your podcast content. And do come by our websites, centerforlit.com and pelicansociety.com to see what we are doing in the world of books. Thanks for being here, everyone. We'll let you go and see you next time on Bibliophiles. Until then, my friends, as always, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy Happy reading. reading. And happy summer.
Bibliophiles is a production of the Center for Lit Podcast Network. Find new episodes each month on the web at centerforlit.com, where you'll discover dozens of resources to equip and inspire you to participate in the great conversation, including the Pelican Society, a membership program for folks who love the Center for Lit approach to all things literary. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Until next time, happy reading, everyone. <laughs>